obedience to him. Now, I've entitled today's message, God's Detailed Commands for Worship. As we think upon, uh, I was thinking this week as I was doing some studies on this, I'm going to read a little bit length. Why do we have a seven-day week? You said, well, the Bible says we have a seven-day week. But why is the secular world not have an eight-day week? Why is there not a nine-day week? Why not a ten? You know what? When we think about why there's a seven-day week, it is yet another example that there is only one Creator God, and the Bible is true. But we think, why don't I mean? Why again? Why is it? It doesn't work with the stars and everything else in the rotation of the Earth to have a seven-day week, and yet that's what God established. And when we think about this, it is yet another indicator that we serve the one true God. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 1, if you have your Bibles with you, let's follow along. It says, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God ended his work which he had made, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had made. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it. Because that in it, he had rested from all his work which God created and made. It says here that God sanctified the seventh day. That word sanctified, be consecrated, dedicated to. Now, I want to read here a little bit of, it comes from Answers in Genesis. There's a little uh, illustration here by Rob Webb, March 2nd, 2022. And he says, have you ever wondered why our week is seven days long? Why seven He said, if you stop to think about it, the number seven is actually not a natural number we observe in our physical universe. So how come we don't use a more natural, even number, like ten, like the number of our finger and toes, or twelve, the number of months per year, or any other number for that matter? Since there are 365 days in a year, why not just divvy up the year into something like 73 five-day week chunks? All of our other usual time markers, days, months, years, have an astronomical basis that we observe in our universe created by God. For instance, a day is defined by the time it takes the earth to rotate once on its axis. A month is the approximate time of the new moon cycles. A year is the time it takes the earth to complete one orbit around the sun. And the seasons are determined by the equinoxes and solstices due to the earth's 23.5 degree tilt toward the sun. However, a week has no such natural basis. What what does the world say? In Psalm 62, 4, thinking about the world, they only consult to cast him down from his excellency. They delight in lies, they bless with their mouth, but they curse and release Selah. The world has a different reason for why we have a seven-day week. What does the secular community think? Continuing with this same article. Many secular historians have somewhat superficially attempted to explain the origin of our seven-day week in various manners, all without using the Bible as a starting point. The most common explanation is that it originated with the ancient Babylonians around the 6th century B.C. And I did read this article on this one as well, separate from this, and this is what several secular people had written. One popular example is from a paper written by an instructor at Colorado State University that reads, we can thank the Babylonians for our seven-day week. The paper essentially states that the Babylonians get the credit for inventing the seven-day week model based on the number of visible celestial bodies they could observe at the time, which happened to be seven, sun, moon, Mercury, Venus, Mars, Jupiter, Saturn. 
This number apparently held mystical significance to them. The author goes on to say, since the Babylonians were such a dominant culture in the Near East, the seven-day model was eventually adopted by other prominent civilizations like the Jews, captives in Babylon at the time, the Persians and the Greeks. Finally, the Romans picked it up, and it was formally adopted by Emperor Constantine in AD 321. This is all secular history, thus becoming the official week across the known world. At first glance, that all sounds reasonable. Why am I going into all this? Because I'm laying the framework for what is the significance of the day, a day for God. Okay, I, I, that's where I'm going with this. But I want you, I'm just laying this information because it is helpful to know why do we have a seven-day week. All of this sounds reasonable, but if we stop to examine that claim from a biblical worldview, we quickly realize the explanation is actually backward at first glance. Again, we stopped... <clears throat> There is evidence of a seven-day week in Noah's day. That is the most logical reason that Noah waited seven days between sending out the birds at the floodwaters as they were receding, Genesis 8. As cultures dispersed at the Tower of Babel, they took the seven-day week with them. God decided to create in six days and rested on the seventh day as a pattern for us to follow, thus dedicating to all of us six days for working and one day for resting, Exodus 34. Based on the creation week, God further defends this work and rest weekly cycle of seven days in Exodus 20 and 31. That's why companies and organizations today use the week cycle to cease their businesses on Saturday or under Sunday. Traditionally, in celebration of Christ's resurrection, the early church of the disciples and after Jesus' death, they would preach to the Jews in the synagogue in the temple on the Sabbath, and then they would have their day of corporate worship on Sunday. Acts 13, Acts 20, and I'll talk about that probably tonight. For a time, Jewish Christians continued to participate both in the synagogue services on the seventh day each week and also in Christian services on the first day of the week. This comes from ICR, Institution of Creation Research. Eventually, as they were more and more excluded from the synagogue, they observed the Lord's Day only on the first day of the week, thereby honoring Christ simultaneously as both Creator and Resurrected Savior. And as we think upon this, about sanctifying a day of the week to honor God and also to rest. Now, we don't find a command in the New Testament for the Sabbath after you get past the Acts. Now, in John chapter 20, we find that Jesus Christ, he resurrected and he stood before the disciples on the first day of the week, John chapter 20. I mean, 1 Corinthians 16, 2, upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store. The church met on the first day of the week, Sunday. Revelation 1, 10 calls it the Lord's Day. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. Now, the, the article initially from Answers in Genesis, it does finalize. It says, due to this combination of Saturday, Sabbath, and the Lord's Day, many nations ultimately have a two-day weekend, thus Saturday and Sunday as we observe today of rest and recuperation. It's interesting how many non-Christians are blessed by a weekend, unbeknownst to them that they are technically Christian holidays. Have you ever thought about that? Why we just have a seven-day week? The day of rest is interwoven to our culture, our economic calendars. The day of rest, the Sabbath, or the Lord's Day. The read about in the Bible, the Old Testament had the Sabbath for the Jews, and then the, now, presently, as the, the, the church age, we have... Sunday as worship. It's set apart to worship the Lord and congregate with other believers. 
The command to worship God is throughout scriptures. And lest man corrupt or distort what is true worship, God has given us specific commands. From the Old Testament tabernacle, I was going to show some videos but, uh, on this, and I, done, I have shown the temple and what the tabernacle, I've shown what the temple looks like in one of our Sunday school hours. God gave how long the, the temple was to be, how wide. God gave every detail of the temple and the tabernacle. And I'm going to detail some of that. But what all of this detail shows us is that God gives us the commands for how to worship him. It is not up to humans, it's not up to us to define the worship to God. This day apart does not make a person a believer. Just because a person celebrates God on Sunday doesn't make them a Christian. But it is an aspect, an overflow of my love for God that I want to worship Him on Sundays. Now in 2 Peter 1.3, the Bible, it says, According as His divine power have given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, with the knowledge of Him that hath called us to glory and virtue. God says, I've given you everything you need in this book. Now you think about this, I, I found another a little uh, quote here, actually, it was in my uh, separate email. It's kind of some devotions that are sent to me every day. I, I just read it. It's kind of interesting some days. And it says, By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, and all the hosts of them, by the breath of his mouth. For he spake, and it was done, he commanded, and it stood fast. Psalm 33. So God spoke, and the world, and all of chemistry, and physics, and all, everything came together, and perfectly was created as God spoke. Let there be, and there was. But unfortunately, in our day, when God speaks, man says, well, let me think about it. Christians say, well, let me think about it. There is a relativism and a hedonism in this day and age. Now, hedonism, the word hedonism means the pursuit of pleasure and sensual self-indulgence. And it has infiltrated how professing Christians view God, how they view local churches, and how they approach their worship to God. I'll approach God my way. There's a lack of reverence and awe for God, and the church has become more about the experience and the emotional high or euphoria to the professing worshiper than it is about bringing the worship to God. It's more about how I feel than what God thinks. And when we think about this, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 2 through 5, it says, For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce bakers, false accusers, incontinent means lacking self-restraint, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, that word heady means uh, rash, hasty, violent, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power there from such turn away. We can go to church to be seen of men, I can go to church to get some really good feeling. But when I come to church, I ought to do it because I want to bring my praises and my worship to the one true God who is worthy of it all. And if I deviate from the commands concerning the worship of God to draw a crowd, then I make the experience more about the crowd than I do about the adoration and submission to Christ and his commands. 
And we exhibit a rebellious attitude rather than a submissive attitude. You know what? Church is there to encourage us, strengthen us, because I'm opportunity to join up with other believers in Jesus Christ to encourage as we sing the songs. We don't just sing the songs because it's just tradition. We sing the songs because isn't the love of Jesus something wonderful? And to that we ought to say amen. It's not about just how it makes me feel. It's about I want to bring my praises to the God of all gods. As we study the sanctification of the Sabbath day and the, the commands of God, the first century church would, and the churches following thereafter would observe on the first day of the week, we're going to look at the parameters of God's commands for the construction of the temple and the tabernacle as well as the New Testament church. And my endeavor is that we would see that God has specified worship in the Old Testament to the Israelites. He has specified worship in the modern day to you and I. And you know what it is incumbent upon us? It is our responsibility to stop trying to adjust God to conform to my life and my desires and instead follow his commands for my life and his local church. So let's go to the Lord and ask for his blessing upon this time. That's my introduction. And I really want to challenge your hearts this, this day. If God has said it, Rather than trying to argue with God, rather than trying to uh, skirt the issue or saying it does, it's not relevant to today, it doesn't really affect me, why don't I just get to the position and I come before God and maybe I kneel and I say, God, yes, Lord. We get so arrogant in ourselves. Well, I don't really believe that about the Bible. And, and we, this is what you say, and this is what he says. He says, she said, and it goes back and forth. What does God think about it? Isn't church about God? And so let's go to the Lord and ask for his blessing upon this time. But I really, I want to challenge you in your heart. What is this all about? What are the commands of God and worship? Let's go to the Lord and pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I come before thy holy throne. Lord Jesus, I thank you for the opportunity we have to gather and sing the songs about the love of Jesus. And Lord, it is so wonderful. My Father, I need your help today. God, I need your strength and your grace. Lord, help me to clearly communicate the truths that you've given Father, I pray that we'd also think about a seven-day week that there is only one true God. Lord, rather than being a lover of myself and having a form of godliness, doing church my own way and doing my walk with you, my spiritual walk with you my own way, how about I just, Lord, help me to get in line and walk with you as you desire. Lord, there is peace and refreshment to my soul when, Lord, I just do it your way. Father, I pray today that you would bring healing to those who need it. Father, I pray that you'd bring encouragement. And Lord, I also bring the, pray that you would also bring a challenge to our souls that, Father, we would truly learn to worship you appropriately. And Lord, it's not about us. It's all about you. I sure love you, Jesus. In the precious name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. 
As you think about this commitment to God, in Numbers chapter 33, this study here that we're doing, I had gone through the Bible, there's about 835 uh, instant, uh, verses or instances in the scripture where the word command, commandeth, or something there. So I went through all 835 verses looking at them and drawing out principles uh, in this study. And it's, this is like part four or part five uh, of this study. Here in Numbers 33, tw- verse 2, and Moses wrote their goings out according to their journeys by the commandment of the Lord, and these are their journeys according, according to their goings out. So God leads, God led Israel through the the wilderness. God led Israel out of Egypt. God led Israel into the promised land. God led Jesus to the garden to be betrayed by Judas. God led the disciples there in the first church. When we think about this in tabernacle worship, I want you to see something with me in Exodus chapter 27. And I'm going to show some specifics and you might be like, oh, there's a whole bunch of specifics here. And I'm going to read this because I want you to note that in the tabernacle, God was specific of how the tabernacle. We can get the idea that God was specific in the Old Testament for the Israelites, but we can do church today however we want to. And that is as far from the truth as can be. If God is the same God he was in the Old Testament as he is today, God gives us specific commands for how to approach him. So I want us to look at the Old Testament as a precedent or as uh, kind of the character of God of how Israel would worship in the Old Testament. Bear with me on some of the details, but I want you to notice how specific God is for Israel's worship. If you remember, in the Old Testament, Israel was God's ambassadors to the world to bring the world to know God as their Lord and Savior. Israel was not Israel just as a nation. Israel was like the Christians of today that are to lead people to know Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus had not come yet, so they were pointing people to the Messiah who was to come. Israel was a light to the nations in the Old Testament. But they got so filled with the materialism and all the riches of the day, they forfeited their ability. Exodus chapter 27, the tabernacle worship. How specific is God? Verse 9, and thou shalt make the court of the tabernacle for the south side southward. There shall be uh, hangings for the court of fine twined linen of an hundred cubits long. How long is a hundred cubits? About 150 feet for one side. And the 20 pillars thereof and their 20 sockets shall be of brass. The hooks of the pillars and their fillets shall be of silver. And likewise for the north side and the length there shall be hangings of an hundred cubits long. And his twenty pillars and their twenty sockets of brass, the hooks of the pillars and their fillets of silver. And for the breadth of the cord on the west side shall be hangings of fifty cubits, so about seventy-five feet, their pillars ten and their sockets ten. And the breadth of the cord on the east side eastward shall be fifty cubits. The hangings of the one side of the gate shall be fifteen cubits, their pillars three and their sockets three. And on the other side shall be hangings fifteen cubits, their pillars three and their sockets three. And it continues on. God tells them how long, God tells them how wide, God tells them what each instrument is that holds up the outer walls of the tabernacle. He says, I want it made out of silver, I want you to do this to it, I want you to do this to it, I want it to be made. I mean, God gives the exact details. That's pretty specific. He says, I want your tent stakes of brass. I want those things that are holding the, 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 the fine twine linen. He, he, doesn't, he says, I want fine twined linen. 
That's going to take a lot of work. He tells them how big to make the Ark of the Covenant. I want you to look with me at Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 11. I only, I only did a, a little bit of it, but I want you to get a taste for how specific God is. Because it's setting a precedent that if God is specific then, what would make us think that God is not specific today? Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 11. Then there shall be a place which the Lord your God shall choose to cause his name to dwell there. Thither shall you bring all that I command you, your burnt offerings and your sacrifices, your tithes, and the heave offering of your hand and all your choice vows which ye vow unto the Lord. God says, the tabernacle is my house. And if it's my house, I'm going to tell you how it's made. I'm going to tell you how to do the offerings. I'm going to tell you when to bring the offerings. In Exodus chapter 23, verse 15, thou shalt keep the feast of unleavened bread. He goes on, latter portion of verse 15, none shall appear before me empty. God's saying, listen, the feast of unleavened bread. Now, a feast of unleavened bread is a feast to appreciate the deliverance from Egypt. We'd actually make a good message for Thanksgiving weekend. I don't know if we'll go that way. I think I'm going a different direction. But the appreciation that God has delivered me from the bondage of Egypt. And there's just simply a thanks to God. God says, you know what? Every year I want you to have a feast. And I want you to set aside a month. You know, a time of month of Bib. And so there's seven days that they would partake in this month of Bib. On this month... On these seven days, I want you to remember that I got you out of Egypt. Now, Egypt, in the Bible, is a picture of the world. It's a picture of our sinfulness. It's a picture of what God has delivered us from. It's our approach to God is with thankfulness, as Christians today, what Jesus has done. You realize this, the Holy of Holies contain God's commandments. I want you to look with me at Exodus 25. Exodus 25, 21. And thou shalt put the mercy seat above upon the ark, and in the ark thou shalt put the testimony that I shall give thee. There I will meet with thee, and I will commune with thee from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubims, which are upon the ark of the testimony of all things, which I will give thee in commandment unto the children of Israel. What does God say? He says, the holy of holies contains my commandment. It's also interesting, just as a side issue, on top of the Ark of the Covenant, there would be two angels with their wings like this. And they would have their heads down, and they would be opposing, and the wings on the other side, and then the, the other cherubim would have its wings touching the other ones. On top of that's the mercy seat, because the mercy of God is upon the law, right, which condemns us, but God's mercy is above the law. God's mercy is what brings us to Christ. I'm not, by the law, I'm condemned. And they would once a year go in and pour the blood on top of that mercy seat. It would overflow that Ark of the Covenant, covering the law as Jesus' blood shed for me covers all the wrongs I've ever done. And God said, this is my place. And then he would also say in Exodus 34, 28, and he was there with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights. Moses spent 40 days and 40 nights twice but 40 days and 40 nights with God to get the Ten Commandments. 
There's a lot of specificity here. There's a lot of specifics. There's a lot of details that God gives for just the tabernacle. Do you realize that the tabernacle would be as, say for instance, uh, here in the middle, all these pews are like the tribes of Israel. Right in the middle of it would be the tabernacle. God wanted to dwell amongst his people. He was in the very center of all the tribes of Israel. Because God wanted to be the centerpiece of your life, of their lives. Now in the construction of the tabernacle in Exodus 31, 6, And I, behold, I have given with him Aholiab, the son of Ahissamach, the tribe of Dan, and in the hearts of all that are wise-hearted, I have put wisdom, that they may make all that I have commanded thee. What did God do? God gave certain men the abilities, the craftsmanship, to build the tabernacle. Whether you were the priest, whether you were the Levite, whether you were the craftsmen that were building the little fillets of silver and all the, the, the tent pegs and everything else that you were building, or you were providing for the tabernacle of, of the, the riches that you'd received from Egypt, every person was important to doing and building that tabernacle. Exodus chapter 40, the rest of the objects are put in the tabernacle. I could go after detail, after detail, after detail, but I'm not going to this morning. The contents of the tabernacle, God established the object in the tabernacle and the material for it. In Leviticus chapter 24, verse 2, command the children of Israel that they bring unto thee pure oil, olive. God says, bring me pure olive oil. Beaten for the light to cause the lamps to burn continually. God didn't say, bring me any other oil. I want pure oil. Olive oil. That's what I want to bring to burn. It's a clean burning. God doesn't want man inventing or doing worship his own way. As I have said before in this whole series of commands, God created this world. God created you and me. You said, no, I came from my mom. Yeah, but your mom came from somewhere, and you go all the way back, and Adam and Eve. If God created this world, why don't I believe that God can stipulate how we worship him? He's the authority. We don't like authority these days. I don't think any of us like people telling us what to do, especially if they're an authority. But God has a right to tell me how I approach him. Do you realize this? And there's to be a constant glowing witness of access to God's presence. Exodus chapter 27, verse 20, And thou shalt command the children of Israel that they bring thee pure oil, olive beaten for the light, to cause the lamp to burn always. Why did he always want that lamp burning? Because God always wanted people to know how to access him. The first thing you do when you come into that tabernacle, there is an altar there. You can't even approach into the holy place, and then beyond the holy place is the holy of holies. You can't even get into the holy of holies or the holy place as a priest until you come past the altar. If there is no forgiveness of sins, there is no sacrifice for sins, there is no approach to God. Your good works can't get you to God. You can't say, God, I'm a good enough person. The first thing in that tabernacle was the altar. An animal was sacrificed. To pay for my, to pay for, for instance, if we were living in that day, to pay for my sins and yours. But it was my faith in God that ultimately gave me that faith. God would give particular calendar dates. It says on the 14th day of the first month at even, they would partake of the Passover. What is the Passover? Remembering the death angel there on that 10th plague in Egypt 
that would deliver the Israelites out of Egypt, that would get them out of there. Because if you didn't have the blood on the sides of your door and on the top of your door, the death angel went over Egypt, and if you didn't have that on your door, your oldest child would die. Now, I want you to notice, turn with me to Deuteronomy 5.15. I want you to begin to think, if I'm going in, I mean, this is, I'm just barely scratching the surface of this. I'm probably at 70,000 feet, if you want to look down. I mean, it is a very macro scale look at this, of the specifics that God put for Israel. You know what, we can get so confused about life. How am I to live life? How am I to raise my children? How do I do work? How do I deal with the government? How do I, how do I, how do I? God's given us the instructions for that. But God's also given us the instructions for how to come before him in worship. Now I want to think about the Old Testament in the Sabbath day. Why don't we, why don't we have church on Saturday? Let me begin to look at this. We'll talk more about this tonight. But Deuteronomy 5.15, and remember, he's talking to Israel, remember that thou wast a servant in the land of Egypt, and that the Lord thy God brought thee out thence through a mighty hand, and by a stretched out arm. Therefore the Lord thy God commanded thee to keep the Sabbath day. The Sabbath day was for Israel. It's not for us today. Now, Matthew 12.8, Jesus said, for the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath day. Mark chapter 2, 27 and 28, and he said unto them, The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore, the Son of Man is Lord also of the Sabbath. Do you realize also, so he says, listen, Israel, I want you every week on Saturday, Jesus hadn't come yet, but every day on Saturday, I want you to clean your house. I want you to, before you clean your house, I guess, I want you to just focus on me. There's one day a week, one in seven. But I want you to think about me. I want you to spend some time with me. I want you to remember that I got you out of Egypt. You know what it is for us as Christians today? God's saying, I want you to remember what I, Jesus has done for us. Why we meet on Sundays. Do you realize that not only did God specify the dimensions of all of the articles to be in the tabernacle, but he also, Exodus chapter 29, verse 35, and thus shalt thou do unto Aaron and to his sons, who would be the priests, according to all things which I have commanded thee, seven days shalt thou consecrate them. God is saying, before they ever do service for me, they need to be consecrated. What does consecrated mean? Consecrated means they're wholly set apart. They're, complete, they're saying, I'm God's. My inheritance is God's. It's not about me. It's all about God. And the priests are to live of the tabernacle, and later on, they were to live of the temple. You realize today, the Bible calls us, as believers, as Christians, a holy priesthood. You're a priest and I'm a priest if you're a born-again Bible-believing Christian. If you've been born again, you're a priest before God. We don't need, you don't need to go to priest to confess your sins. Hallelujah. And the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20, you're the temple of the Holy Spirit of God, and so am I. 
And Aaron and his sons were to be consecrated before all. So God specified the dimensions of the tabernacle and everything in it. He specified that those who were to minister in the tabernacle, how they were to approach him. They had to get clean in their own heart before they ever came to God. Leviticus 8.36, Therefore shall ye abide at the door of the tabernacle, the congregation, day and night, seven days, and keep the charge of the Lord that ye die not, for so I am commanded. Aaron and his sons would wash with water in a symbolic act of washing. Now listen, between you, between me and God, you know, if we were thinking we were Aaron and his sons, between me and God, there is no sin in my life. There's nothing in my life that I know I'm living a lifestyle that's not right. I'm doing what's not right. I'm, I'm thinking right. I'm not right, nice to my family. I have an anger problem. I have whatever. But if there's something in my life, God's saying, listen, you got to make it right. You realize after, as you're coming into that tabernacle, say here's the, 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 the drapes of the tabernacle. I walk in. There's the altar. Past the altar is the brazen laver. It is a huge bowl of water where you would wash your hands before you would go into the holy place. You can't have access to God until you as a believer, so you've had the sacrifice. Jesus Christ paid for my sins. But if I want to have right access with God, I've got to be clean in my heart. What do I mean by clean? Not that I'm not a Christian, but it does mean that between me and God, there's not a sin that I know is in my life that shouldn't be there. That I'm not doing that which I, God says, listen, Aaron, it is important. It's not just a duty you're doing out of obligation to me. It's not just a uh, haphazard, man-made worship. I am going to define worship. And Aaron, you need to be clean, not just externally, but also internally. In Exodus 19.5, Now therefore, if you obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine. God says, Israel, you have an important responsibility. As a Christian, we have an important responsibility to point people not to me or how great I am, but I have an important responsibility to point them to Jesus Christ. This whole thing of living the Christian life and trying to do it my own way is absolute rebellion and disobedience to God. The consecration of the tabernacle worship, if you think about it, that God would set aside a day, one day a week. Can you imagine how many man hours? If you have a crew of people and you said this job is going to take 100 hours, and so maybe for one week, you set aside two and a half men to do all the work. Two and a half man hours, let's say that. Not two and a half men, but two and a half man hours. But you're taking the entire nation saying, on Saturday, I don't want you to work. That's a lot of work lost, if you think about it. But God says, I'll prosper you, I'll help you. You set aside a day for me, it's my day. You're going to worship me because I'm worthy of it. We can get so busy with work and life and we can put hobbies and sports and everything else above God. God says, I only want one day a week. One day a week. I want you to look with me at Exodus 35. Verse 
some of the worst days of my life. I remember I was in the military and doing some engineering work, and I was working seven days a week. I did that for weeks on end. I was, not, I was missing church. I was not reading my Bible. And it, life began to get very difficult. And I went into some dark days. Made some bad decisions. I put God on the back burner for money, for status, for power. And it was not good. Next is 35, 29. The children of Israel brought a willing offering unto the Lord, every man and woman, whose heart made them willing to bring for all manner of work, which the Lord had commanded to be made by the hand of Moses. It's a matter of the heart. In Numbers chapter 8, position of ministry before the Lord for Aaron and his sons. He says in verse 19 of Numbers 8, And I have given the Levites as a gift to Aaron and to his sons from among the children of Israel, to do the service of the children of Israel in the tabernacle of the congregation, to make an atonement for the children of Israel, that there be no plague among the children of Israel. When the children of Israel come nigh to the sanctuary, and Moses and Aaron, all the congregation of the children of Israel, did to the Levites according to all that the Lord commanded Moses concerning the Levites. So did the children of Israel unto them. And the Levites were purified, and they washed their clothes, and Aaron offered them as an offering before the Lord. And Aaron made an atonement for them to cleanse them. And after that went the Levites in to do their service in the tabernacle of the congregation before Aaron. And before his sons, as the Lord had commanded Moses concerning Levites, so did they unto them. They said, God, I want to be clean. Not only outward, I mean, taking a shower is a good thing, but I don't only want to be clean outside, I want to be clean inside. What we're doing here, in the very presence of God, why a lot of churches these days are going where the pastor wears some jeans and just a casual flannel shirt or something else. I, I want to bring the best to God. He's worthy of it. Now, I'm saying it's each to our, each person in your own conscience, but for myself personally, I had a friend question me on this. There's a lot of things. Hey, buddy Jesus, I'm just going to put my hands. He's God of God. And King of kings. How dare I approach him in such casualness? The church is God's house. And God also said to the priests, listen to me, the burnt offerings, and people are going to bring the bread for their offerings, and you can use it to help fund the priests and so that they have food to eat. Leviticus chapter 7, verse 37 and 38 this is the law of the burnt offering, of the meat offering, and of the sin offering, and of the trespass offering, and of the consecrations, and of the sacrifice of the peace offerings, which the Lord commanded Moses in Mount Sinai, in the day that he commanded the children of Israel to offer their oblations in the Lord in the wilderness of Sinai. God spelled out everything. Do you realize what else he spelled out? Exodus 39.1. And of the blue and purple and scarlet, they made cloths of clothes of service to do service in the holy place and made the holy garments for Aaron as the Lord commanded Moses. God even spelled out what Aaron and his sons were to wear. Now he doesn't, in the Bible, we don't see that. There are some principles in the Bible and, and one of these days I'll talk about clothing, but God dealt with the clothing even in the disposal of the ashes, the ceremony of dedication of Aaron and his sons, Leviticus chapter 8. 
There was care in the worship of the tithe to the Lord, Leviticus chapter 27. There was a tithe for the needy there in Israel, Deuteronomy chapter 26. Tithing, the word tithe means tenth. They would give 10% of their earnings to God. And there was also a gift to help the needy in Israel. And this is not, you know, oftentimes we look at this, well, well, churches need to help all the needy in the community. No, we don't. If they don't want God, they're in a hard place because God's trying to bring them unto himself. A, A church is not a social justice place. It's a place to point people to Jesus Christ. Look with me at Numbers chapter 9, verse 7. I'm going to have to bring this to a close, and I'll continue tonight with the New Testament, the New Testament church and the New Testament worship. Numbers chapter 9, verse 7. You know, I, you might be saying, Pastor, you're a little too serious. I'm serious because I don't have to spend eternity in hell. I've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. I don't have to live in eternal torment. I have to be shouting hallelujah! Because I've been rescued, and you have too if you're born again. Why can't I just kneel before the Father and say, God, you're worthy! Instead of a casual lackadaisical, unspiritual way that people come to worship and it's all about, hey, woo-ha! All the emotions. Why don't I just come to the Word and say, what does He say? It's His worship, not my worship. If I'm coming to worship myself, I'll do it my way. But if you're coming to worship God and you try to put it under God's name, stop saying it's for God and say it's for yourself. Just be true to what you're doing. Numbers chapter 9, verse 7. Those men said unto him, We are defiled by the dead body of a man. Wherefore are we kept back that we may not offer an offering of the Lord in his appointed season among the children of Israel? Moses said unto them, Stand still, and I will hear what the Lord will command concerning you. What is he doing? Moses is saying, I'm the leader of the nation, but I don't have a right to say how people ought to approach God. Why don't I get God's thoughts on it? He is the creator. He is my father. He is my savior. Why don't I just follow him? Our corporate worship of the Lord is not open to our interpretation or ideas about what constitutes adoration of God on a congregational scale. Numbers 19.2, this is the ordinance of the law which the Lord hath commanded, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel that they bring thee a red heifer without spot, wherein is no blemish, and upon which never came yoke. God saying, if you want to do a sacrifice, this red heifer once a year without blemish, because Jesus had no fault. That, that red heifer was a, was a picture of the Messiah that was coming. All of this tabernacle worship is pointing us to the Messiah Jesus who is coming. Numbers 19.9, and I'll be done here shortly but last verse and a man that is clean shall gather up the ashes of the heifer and lay them up without the camp in a clean place and it shall be kept for the congregation of the children of israel for a water of separation is a purification for sin christian today i'm going to follow this tonight 
with the New Testament church, but I want you to think about your faithfulness to God, the Lord's Day. How I approach Him. We get so easy. The culture says, be comfortable, be casual. Do you realize who we're approaching? Who we're coming before? Can you imagine coming before a king of a country, king or queen of a country, and just coming, hey, bro, what's happening? And yet we treat God with such disdain. He is the king of kings. He says, I want a day. I'm going to tell you how to approach me. I'm going to tell you to approach me in cleanliness of your heart. My friend, God was so specific in the Old Testament. Don't you think he wants us to figure out what he wants us, how to approach him today? It's a serious thing. God is serious. And the first way to approach God is through the blood of Jesus Christ. As you see that cross there, some 2,000 years ago, Jesus, hands outspread, he had been beaten and lashed so many times, skin was, big flanks of skin were flailing, you know, they were just hanging out. He was bleeding all over, nails in in his hands, nails in his feet, there, naked on the cross. And he says, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they do. He was an unblemished lamb. He was innocent. But he did it because he says, listen, I want a relationship with you. I want you to be my child. And if you'll in simple faith believe that my death on that cross, Jesus, his death on that cross, paid, his death, burial, and resurrection paid for all the sin all the bad things you've ever done. In simple faith, you say, Jesus is the only way to God. Jesus is the only God. Simple faith, you say, I'm a sinner. I'm guilty. In the court of law, I've done some bad things. You just say, God, forgive me. I'm guilty. You ask him to forgive you, be your savior, and you know what? You're born again. You ask Jesus to forgive you, and you are a child of his. You're forgiven. And as a Christian, It's about time we begin to think about church, we begin to think about the adoration and the worship, corporate and individual, personally, the worship of God in a serious way. God tells us how to approach Him. We've got to stop thinking about church. Well, that's not really what I think and what I think. How about what God thinks? Let's do it God's way. If I can have Mrs. Pat come forward, we'll have a time of invitation. This time of invitation, if you're not familiar with it, is a time for you to pray and talk with God. You can come up and pray up front. You can pray in your pew. You can kneel in your pew. But I want you to, this is just a time between you and God. As I've been preaching, if maybe the Spirit of God has been working on your heart about something in your life, a sin in your life that you need to get right, I would say get right today. Maybe just in a casual approach to God, how about we begin to think, you know what, this is God I'm approaching. How about I do it seriously? As the music plays, I trust that you do business with God in just a time of prayer. If you'd like to talk after the service, I'd love to show you. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior, I'd love to show you from the Bible that you can know for sure Jesus is your Savior. And Christian, 
God's given us the commands for worship. How about we simply do it God's way? I want to thank you for being here on the Lord's Day. As we worship the true and only God. I was preaching today, would you be willing to say, Pastor, I'd like you to pray for me. Just, if you want, you're saying, that's the tone of my heart. I'd like you to pray for me. Just lift up your hand. I won't call out your name. I won't come up to you after to talk about what you lifted up your hand about, but I will pray for you. Is anyone like that today? Pastor, would you pray for me? God was working on my heart. Maybe someone today would say, Pastor, I don't know if I died. If I walked out those doors and had a massive heart attack or something happened and I died, I don't know where I'm going. I'd like to know pray for me. My prayer won't make you a believer, but I would pray that you'd settle that decision. Anyone like that, just lift up your hand, Pastor, would you pray for me? Maybe the next step is going forward, moving forward for the Lord. Maybe you're saved and you say, I know I need to follow the Lord in believer's baptism. Join the church and get busy for God. If that's the place, I'd love to speak with you. However God is speaking to your heart today, I trust that you would just simply Just a moment longer as the music will come to a close shortly. We must reject the hedonism of the day and begin to embrace the commands of God if we want to truly love Him and show our love. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank You for this day. I thank You for Your marvelous grace. God, I thank You that we don't have to listen to man tell us how to worship, but God, we have an eternal book. Lord, that we can study, we can look at, we can, re- we can read, we can be encouraged, we can be challenged, we can be kicked in the pants. Lord, we have a book from you, and you told us how to do it. And so, Father, I yield today to thee. I thank you for being my father. I pray for anyone today that is not saved, Lord, that they'd settle it. Lord, help us as we come back tonight to serve you. Help us this day to put you first above all that's said and done. I love you, Jesus, in your precious name I pray.